Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and the upcoming comic Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah. Let's just get the beers out of the way, yeah? What you got? Or the Kirkland beers. Heart Seltzer. Yeah, oh, we're going to try it and true. Back. It was a little mm. a little warm today, so I felt like doing that. Uh, not only that, but I haven't replenished the fridge since Free Comic Book Day. So, oh. uh, yeah, yeah, I got a bare cabinet beyond the hard seltzers, which which I was okay with this week. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So my lead into my beer is my fridge replenished itself because I got my delivery from Tavor a few days ago. Now, this is important because I am drinking a hazy IPA. <laughs> which I said I wasn't going to drink anymore. And here's the problem. When I made my bold declaration about a week ago, I had forgotten that I had already pre-ordered about 10 of them. Oh. <laughs> right? So, you know, they were ordered like three weeks ago. You know, that's how Tavor works, by the way. You get a okay. monthly shipment and like beers get announced. You basically claim them by paying for them. They make a box. They build that box. And then they ship you that box four months, four weeks after your first beer you pick. So, like, I haven't picked any beers this month. I'm, I'm chilling. And then once I pick my first beer, then my crate will ship basically four weeks after that. And I have four weeks to build the crate, get more beer, etc. So, oh, I um, see. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, anyway. So, it's not an automatic thing. They don't just go, like, every month, here's more shit, more shit, exactly. more shit. Well, because the best part about it is they charge a flat fee for shipping. They charge $14.90, which is great. You can buy one beer or or 500 and it's going to be $14.90. Um, and, and so, because of that, like, if you have a three, four-week run there where you don't buy any beer, you don't want a shipment of nothing or one beer. So, I like the fact that whatever your first beer is, that's when they start the clock. So uh, anyway, pretty cool. So I say that because we're going back to my first hazy IPA love. It is Adroit Theory, oh, yeah. who I have talked about a lot. My first lactose IPA. They make amazing lactose hazy IPAs. And this monster is called Chasing Visions of Our Future, right? And uh, it is fucking fantastic. It is, again, just – I. You know, it's funny. I, I When I listen back to the podcast – I think it's funny that we talk about hops like we know what the fuck we're talking about. So, like, I know shit about hops, okay? I know the stuff tastes good, but, like, we'll read the can and it'll be, like, citra, mosaic, and whatever. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what that means. It just sounds yeah. fun. You know, mm -hmm. like, I'm reading the can. So, I could not tell you what a beer with one of those hops tastes like any different than a beer with the other one. But I know they combine and we get good shit, and that's why we pay beer makers to make cool beer. More importantly, Scott... 10.1 oh wow we are we're double digiting man nice get yeah, we're just we're just talking it like podcast it. content galore this is gonna be amazing <laughs> i like it yeah all i know is if i see uh, lactose or milkshake i'm in that's all i know mm -hmm. because it brings all the boys to the yard it's right true. like that's how it works that milkshake does indeed bring the boys to the yeah. yard <laughs> all right so I did the intro, and we're not sure whether we're still in sequence or not. I think for those of you scoring at home and you're drinking based on when we fuck up the rotation, I think we possibly just did. So, fun fact for you. Um, what's your first thing this week, man? Uh, the most exciting thing would be colored pages are coming in for Second Shift 10. So, Joaquin, he had a, uh, a little, little spell there where nothing was coming in, found out his parents got COVID. He was uh, uh, taking care of them, essentially. And um, things are back rolling. He went on a little vacation. and uh, But, uh, yeah, a, a fleet of pages have been coming in the last three days. And, man, they're beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful pages. A gaggle, perhaps, of pages? A, a, a murder. <laughs> a murder of pages. <laughs> a murder of pages. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and they're beautiful. There was a couple of minor corrections that I saw. Um, I have a flatter that I use sometimes for more complicated, busy pages, which would consume too much of my time. And uh, there was an explosion on one of the pages, and he kind of kind of half-assed the explosion. And, uh, you know, what I pay him, I wasn't too concerned with it. I'm like, you know, I can go fix that. Uh, but I noticed after I had uploaded the pages initially, so when pages got dropped into the flats folder, I send Joaquin a link and uh, say, hey, there's pages in there. You know, get rolling when you can, and and he says okay, 
And uh, so in the process, that's when I found out about the explosion. I was like, oh, I want to redo that. And there were a couple of things on the pages that the, the, the flatter had messed up, so I had to adjust them. I let Joaquin know. Um, but that was before his vacation. So I think what had happened was uh, he, he downloaded the messed up page. And then so when he colored it, it had the errors that the, the flatter had done. And so I had pointed them out. I said, hey, I actually changed, changed this page out a while ago. And I had told him before he went on vacation, so I think he forgot. So as soon as he saw everything in there, he just downloaded everything in there. And so he still had the messed up page, went on vacation, forgot about it. Uh, but he's he's like, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I got it. No problem. Uh, but beyond that, everything's looking pretty awesome. I'm going to start the, the lettering process very soon. Um, once I see color pages rolling in, I get very excited, and I really want to complete the process. Gotcha. Well, that's cool, man. Um I did have one, I had one question at the moment, which is, what does a half-assed flat on an explosion look like? Um, a flat line. So, basically, the bottom of the explosion was going towards the ground, and he just kind of, like, okay, it, it's hard to say. I guess it would be hard to interpret um, if you weren't an artist at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you're I, I don't know what flatters like businesses, like I don't know if they're artists like but they're doing this in the meantime or they just learn this trade because it's easy. It's like a coloring book. Um, so when an artist draws an explosion, it's not a clear cut line every single time what you need to color in. It's like clouds and debris flying and, and, and motion lines. And so with those, he kind of just drew a line. And like that was he's like, OK, well, this is this part of this. And so it kind of almost looked like a, 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 a slice of cheese or something like a wedge that he okay. had done. And I was just like, wow, that doesn't look like an explosion at all. So I went in, I corrected, I made like, uh, you know, zigzaggy pointy lines to to, you know, emphasize the explosion. And uh, some of the debris flying in the air wasn't colored. So I colored that some of the. Uh, speed explosion lines i had colored those with that zigzag uh pattern to to emphasize the speed of it and um yeah my color my colorist used the wrong one and i was like ah fuck <laughs> so but he's gonna correct it and, and it'll be taken care of so if you guys ever pick up second shift 10 uh you'll know what i'm talking about uh it should be fixed but uh that was a a, a problem uh but uh, apparently an easy one to correct nice nice all right cool cool so my first thing, I guess I'll do the comic thing first. I have I have sort of like an ethereal novel thing that I think I want to talk about just for, you know, just because I think people can relate to it somehow, even if it's not necessarily novel. But the first thing I want to talk about is that I am very close. I mean, it's been, I've said this in weeks before, but boy, this week, this week was the week where Los Angeles traffic really became the full behemoth it is right like it it was awful it is awful we're we're back we're back mm. baby um <laughs> and school is kicking you know um activities are kicking the daily portion of of shit i do is really picking up yeah the last couple of days on the freeway as well have been a little little sticky in san diego so we're we're feeling those effects as well yeah yeah exactly so because of that I found myself um, a little more pressed for time in terms of creative stuff. So you can make the argument that it was one of my lesser productive weeks because last weekend was my third and final trip to Disneyland, which, you know, maybe I'll talk about a little bit at the end. We'll see. Um, it was great. But, you know, that's a full day. And, uh, and you know, then, <laughs> dude, I walked 14.2 miles that day. Oh, wow. And I felt it the next two days. The next day, I was just beat. Like, I had gotten enough sleep. But I was just exhausted. You know, I didn't do much. And then you get back into work and, you know, I just didn't find myself with enough time. So I got very close to getting to the end of uh, Kadoja Volume 4, Issue 1. And I did send a note off to Will and just let him know, hey, this is coming soon. But an interesting thing happened when I was going through uh, Issue 1, and that is there are two new kaiju in right so um you know one of my themes or or ideas with kadoja has been every arc has the same if not more kaiju and so volume one had one right it was the serpent volume two had two 
Volume 3 also had has two, but it's a different kind of two. Um, people will see that because by the time you get this, you definitely have your Volume 3s if you backed it. Or you could theoretically go to your local comic shop and say, I want Kadoja Volume 3 because, you know, odds are they didn't order it to stock. So you got to go shake your retailer by the collar. I encourage you to do that and say, where the fuck is Kadoja 3? Volume 3. You should have ordered some, and I want it. Right. But once you get there, you'll you'll see what I'm saying. I'm not going to give anything away, but uh, it's two. But it's an entirely different two than how volume two happened. Um, and volume four, I'm doing at least four. Right. So oh. uh, so let's get it. We're going to get some more. So I, I did give Will a heads up. And uh, and I, I, have a, I had an idea for the first kaiju. I had a pretty cool idea. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to say it here because that's not how I do things, right? And even this, this one I'm about to talk about, I'm going to have to be kind of vague. But uh, I was kind of like out of, out of ideas for the second kaiju. So I pick up my kid from school one of the days. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm on carpool duty uh, a couple trips home every week. And so I'm part of a parent group of four where we just split it up. Right. So oh, okay. that's, that's cool. It, it was it was one of my days picking up the kids, um, her and two of her two schoolmates that, that happened to live not too far from us. So she gets in the car and like I was just in one of those like moods, you know, I was like, you got any ideas for a kaiju? And, you know, this is Eden. She is the biggest Godzilla fan of the bunch. I mean, our family is all pretty good Godzilla fans, but I mean, Eden is substantial. Right. And she got in at age five. There's a photo of her making Godzilla face at five or six next to the Hollywood star, you know, there's a photo of her, like there's a photo of her at that Hollywood star, like with her hand on the Godzilla star. It's so cute. Cause it's kind of like, you know, just like channeling the Godzilla and like respecting it. It's very, very cool. But anyway, so I knew she'd have somewhere to come with and without me giving away what it was, cause I can't do that. She came up with a pretty cool idea. And, um, and I was like, you know, actually, well, and at first the idea was so out there. I was like, okay, you got to describe that to me. That doesn't really make any sense, you know? And then she started to describe it and then, okay, so she did. And then I'm like, okay, that makes more sense, but I don't see how it's a kaiju. And then she worked her way to making it a kaiju. So we got it. And then she's like, here, I'll draw it. So she draws it while she's in the passenger seat, you know, of the car. And, um, and then you know, because traffic's so dead, I'm able to examine it because it wasn't moving. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> okay, I, I see what you're saying here, but can we do this and can we do that so we can make it more monstrous? And she was like, oh, yeah, I like that idea, right? I hope you saved this drawing. Uh, I do. I, I, I have the drawing. Okay, cool. That could be a fun little thing for the back of the book or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to make sure. I, actually, I, after we tape, I'll just make sure that I take a photo of both sides because the reason is... She does that drawing, and I'm like, I like this drawing. Um, and then what happened was, you know, the, the sun was going down. It was like five-something. And uh, she she held up the page to the light. And what I saw was that her – I think she, she flipped the page and then was looking at – it just – it turns out, as luck would have it, that she had drawn something on the other side of the page in pencil. And she had done this in ink. So when she held up the pencil side with the light behind it, the ink side came through and it ended up ended up creating kind of like this mutated hideous thing. And I was like, uh, I think this is even cooler than your drawing, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just just a random thing, you know. So um, and then I actually, you know, in the spirit of, of issue one, um, I, I did give Will a heads up because I said, hey, you know, like the issue is probably going to be ready within a, a week. But if you want to start thinking about some kaiju, here are my ideas, right? And uh, and so I actually included my kid's drawing um, from from the normal side and then from kind of like the reverse side where it's like mutated and weird. I uh, I included a picture of like the source material so he knows where it's coming from, what she was basing her idea on. And, uh, and we'll see. So he was like, yeah, that's a really cool idea. I like it. I think we can roll with it. And um, again, I wish I could say more, but you know how I roll. So, yeah. uh, but I, you I'll, know, I'll what, bug you what about I, it off the air. Yeah, yeah. So what I found is that uh, this ended up being a really great, uh, I guess, you know, what, um, annex, you know, additional chapter to finding inspiration in strange places, right? Like, I asked my kid, my kid had, had just had some ideas floating in her head based on something. 
those turned into a, a set of drawings. We then workshopped them just a little bit live in the car. And then what I think is a happy accident led to that thing leveling up even more. So, I mean, that's a really interesting string of circumstances that led us to something that I think is going to be pretty cool and that I think it's going to be really fun for the artist to draw. Because when I do scripts, the number one thing I'm doing, I just, I want to make sure the artist is enjoying the shit out of themselves, you know? So I, I consider it a personal challenge. I'm like, I got to make this shit cool and I got to make it something that an artist is really going to look forward to drawing. And so uh, I like to think that we've, we've kind of hit that goal for this. Um, so anyway, man, super interesting series of events and we got something cool out of it all because of one question, picking up my kid from school. Yeah, that does sound super interesting, and and you gotta love stuff like that where you can just spitball and something comes out of it. There's actually a, uh, it's kind of like a generic villain. I think it's issue seven, issue seven of the second shift, and it's it's a character, um, uh, uh, jokingly named Captain Booty Smack, and it came from a conversation that uh, me and my buddy Nick and Ed had in the car ride to Long Beach Comic Con. We were just bullshitting and we were talking about, like, Nick is a notorious DC fan. Like, he's a huge DC apologist. Uh, he loves everything DC. And I was shitting on Captain Boomerang. I'm like, this is a stupid design. Like, I'm sure there's someone out there that thinks it's very clever and super cool. Like, I actually like the design for Suicide Squad. I think it worked really well for Suicide Squad. Um, but the fact that the guy, like, the villain is wearing a beanie that has a, a little mini boomerang on it is just kind of, like, it's kind of nuts. So I joked about, I was like, oh, I'm just going to create a character named, like, I don't know, he's got, like, a, a, a headband that has a hand on it because he has a metal hand, and his <laughs> name is going to be Captain Booty Smack. <laughs> and then so, and we ended up joking, up, uh, joking about it in the car, me and Nick, and uh, I ended up drawing it. At the con, like at the time I was doing a, a series of uh, uh, original cards, like I would draw superheroes, villains, whatever, whoever. And I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll draw Captain Booty Smack. So I did. And it was just something fun to do. And I was doing this, the Kaiju story in issue seven. And I was like, I just need a throwaway bank robber. And I was like, I got it. So nice. Captain Booty Smack came to light in there as a joke. And like, there's a great running gag that's going to go on in the book because that's not really his name. But Eddie uh, Switch, he, he's uh, one of the heroes in the second shift. He sees the bank robbery taking place. He slips in. The guy's like demanding money or whatever, right? And Eddie says, take it easy, Captain Booty Smack or something along nice. those lines. And he goes, what? And then so they, they fight or whatever. And then they're like, the report is, oh, Captain Booty Smack. And, and the whole thing is, that's not my name. Yeah. So he, <laughs> So the running gag every time he comes up will be, he never gets to say what his actual name is. It'll he'll always be cut off, cut off before he actually gets to say his name. Oh right, right. I dig yeah. it. I dig it. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So that was your first thing, right? That was my first thing, man. Yeah. Okay. So my second thing's a little more boring. It's not as it's not as cool as those sweet colored pages coming in or uh, designing a kaiju. Um, but I'm wrapping up commissions. Thank goodness. So this commission I have been struggling with the past I don't know couple of months. I finally got on a roll. Um, I knocked out the three-character cover. I knocked out one character pretty quickly. The second character got done, and within a day, I had finished the third character. I at least roughed it out, and uh, I was just going back and forth with the the commissioner. And he was he was super cool with everything. He goes, yeah, that looks great. He goes, you know what? That's perfect. The way he has the the look on his face. I had this when I'm writing it, and blah blah blah. So everything's falling in line. The uh, third character, uh, we, we did a little workshopping. We talked it through, and I was like, well, this is what I have. And he goes, that's pretty close to what I just described. So, yeah, let's let's do it. And, and so I was like, fucking A. And so I started inking it up, and uh, the lines were flowing, man. Sometimes the, the lines are struggling. Like we talked about the whole warm-up process and the cool-down process. Um, that day, my lines were flowing. I was just inking. It was very effortless. And, uh, yeah, it was is all is all coming out really fast so very nice. excited about that and uh, to piggyback off of that i followed up with uh the mermaid commissioner and so i i hadn't heard back i actually checked the last time i sent him an email with the update and it had been two months already 
it's been too much two months since I've messed with that so I was like you know what I'm finishing up this commission and let me find out what's going on so uh, he came back and said you know what I I picked I picked which which uh, layout I wanted he goes but I actually want to talk to you about it in person so you know let's just hold off on this one until I see you at the next convention or, or whatever the case is and he goes hopefully you know that will be soon and he goes so but I'll pay you for your time so he's he's very good about that kind of stuff so no sweat uh, but it sounds like he wants to talk it through a little more in person which I'm okay with no big deal and on uh, and a little cherry on top he goes I actually have another commission for you in the meantime if you don't mind so um, I'll send him a bill for the time time spent on this previous one, and I'd imagine this next one he's going to give me is a little bit easier, and I could knock it out in a, a quicker manner. Nice, nice. When do you think you're going to see him? What wasn't he at? Wasn't he at uh, Phoenix? Whatever the fuck it's called. Yes. The last time we were there. Yeah, Phoenix yeah. Fan Fusion. He was randomly there. I was like, man, this dude travels for commissions or conventions, and uh, yeah, he's he is San Diego based, as far as I know. Um, uh, and yeah, yeah. San Diego based, I believe. And then, uh, I've seen him at LA conventions and, and as far as Phoenix. So yeah, it's kind of wild, but, um, Hey man, he's, he's a great commissioner. I've been doing work for him for years. He always pays on time. His check's always clear. Um, always super respectful and always has like a ton of ideas. He's just like, Hey, here's a folder full of ideas and, uh, gives you a ton of references and everything like that. So, um, yeah, pretty good. I had a little hiccup thing going there, so mm. I needed to address it. I needed to address it. I'm oh, sure. I thought you I needed to sneeze. No, no, no. It was a hiccup thing. Mm. So, uh, so you know, the thing about hiccups is if you catch them in their incipient stage, you're okay, right? Mm. It's, it's one hic- once hiccups start to roll downhill after about your fourth, fifth hiccup, you're fucked, right? So I hiccup twice, and I was like, fuck it. I need to address this right now. Interesting. I didn't know that. Do you have a, a, a personal remedy for hiccups that works really well for you? I have two. Yeah, um, I drink water upside down. Yes, you mean out of the wrong side of the glass or upside? No, down? I think we might have had this conversation a long time ago. So, okay. though, so my interpretation of that when I was a child was, um, you literally have to swallow water when you're upside down. So oh, my okay. way of going about that was upright. I get a mouthful of water. And Mm. I lay on the couch where your butt normally goes. That's where I put the flat of my back. And then I stick my head over the edge where your legs would go. And I I lean my head backwards and I swallow the water in two to three gulps. And then I do it two to three times. So, yeah, a total of nine water swallows. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so you have a method. I was really hoping you were going to say where your butt goes, my face goes. I was really hoping that's what I was going to Like you were well, you just going to kind of actually. You got to buy me dinner first. But, uh... <laughs> okay, so for me, um, drinking water out of the wrong side of the glass is my like, okay, we got we to gotta break glass for the fire here. That's my, that's my, my money one uh, in case it gets out of control. But the first one I do is I just hold my breath for a very long time and then exhale a nice slow exhale until you are completely empty. And that works 90% of the time. Oh, I'll try that one. Bit. Yeah, that's that's a good one. You don't have to drink water or anything. So, you know, different ones work for different people, but those are definitely my, my two. Um, I found that one method that worked since I was a little kid, so I've never bothered even trying to learn another one. But yeah, that one's totally. interesting because, like, if I'm, I have them in a place where I can't be a fucking weirdo and lay upside down on a couch, you know, that's a that's a pretty <laughs> solid one. Excuse me, can you tell me where the couch is? I need to put my <laughs> face where most people's butts go. <laughs> Sir, you're in Target. <laughs> Please don't do that here. There's a display right over there. I can go sit on that couch. Yeah. It yeah. says don't sit on the display, sir. <laughs> okay, so that was uh that was your second thing, right? Um, yes, sir. Oh wait, wait, wait a minute. I wanted to talk about one other thing. You mentioned conventions, so what does your convention schedule look like for the next couple months? Do you? I mean, I know you've we're, we got Phoenix in January. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what else is coming up. I haven't signed up for anything. Okay. Um, I'm not doing uh, L.A. Comic Con, uh, formerly Kamikaze. They priced me out of the market a long time ago. Their artist yeah. alley tables were insane. When everyone else was tar- charging two hundred dollars, they started charging three hundred. Yeah. And uh, I think that was just based off of the name Stanley's Kamikaze, and uh, you know, so it's just like, hey man, I'm 
I'm making that money back. That's definitely what's happening at those shows. But I'm not like knocking anything out of the park. It's like, yeah, like what I make is a decent chunk of change. But you think about travel. So you're thinking about gas up and down. And uh, usually I'll stay at somebody's spot. So like if, if you and I were sharing a table, I would just stay with you or yeah. if I'm or me and Ed are sharing a spot, um, I would stay with Ed. So that's not the problem. So like the I'm not paying for a hotel or anything, but you're also you're away from your your home for three or four days. And mm-hmm. it's just like, dude, that's draining. And to come out of this going, I made 300 bucks. Yeah, so it's like exactly. I made. You know, and it's just like that's not that much. Like after table and and all yeah. the and gas and everything, no, making, you didn't gross it. You made it. Yeah, I got yeah, you. exactly right. So it's just like you know what? That's that's not worth worth the time and the effort. Um, yeah. You know, it's just like look at the SoCal event that we just did. Like that was a you know grand slam, and it it's right in my backyard. And you're not zero. You're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah. So for me, I have. Rose City Comic Con coming up uh, in a couple weeks. In fact, let me think about this. When this airs, Rose City Comic Con will be like Friday. Um, oh. it, it's it's like two weeks from now, basically. Um, maybe maybe yeah yeah roughly. So um so anyway that'll that'll be interesting. And then I have a, a a nice big gap of time off there. That's really the first one. And then I've got Emerald City in Seattle, which is one of the best, and that's in December. And then I think we've talked about it. I, I still haven't put the down payment on the table yet. I just I'm going to build up some funds and then go with it. But you know you said you're down. So once I do commit to that table for Ontario. Uh, the Ontario Convention Center, that's December 18th and 19th. It's just a nice little two-day convention. We'll split an Artist Alley table there, but I haven't done it yet. But you already gave me the go-ahead, so it's just a matter of me getting some funds up and uh, then putting down on the table. Yeah, just let me know. I'll shoot over half, no biggie. No problem, no problem. We can talk about that offline. So anyway, I, yeah, I got a couple. And then we've got Phoenix uh, on the heels of that in January. So that'll, yep. be, that'll be fun. And then theoretically, the convention cycle will start over and, uh, and we'll see what happens. From yeah, there. hopefully we'll get back into the normal circulation. Comic-Con back in July, WonderCon, I think in March, April, right? Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see what goes on and hopefully everything get back, it gets back to normal uh, next year fully. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, all right, so... My second thing, again, is a bit floaty, but I'm going to go ahead and and, and just talk my way through it and we'll see what happens because somebody might benefit from it. So I've been toying. So let's we're going to go back to my novel and we're going to go back to that, you know, harsh, but but, you know, more right than wrong critique of the novel. And um, and one of the things he didn't like was that I had a prologue. And that prologue is not set in the current time frame of the novel. And he said, I would recommend you just cutting that prologue or making this other thing that's in the novel, the prologue, or just starting on day one of real time. Right. That's kind of what his suggestion was. And um, and that is in line with a suggestion from one of my fellow workshoppers. So it didn't seem like much at the time because I am sort of in love with that prologue. But um, as time has gone by, I've continued to just have that swim around in my head. And uh, it came to a head this week. And and what I was thinking is, when you send a novel out to agents, right? So when, when you try to get your novel sold, the first thing you have to do is get an agent. That's the hard part. That's the harder part. Then that agent has to find an interested publisher. That is hard. But it's not as hard as finding an agent in the first place, right? It's much harder to win over an agent than it is for an agent to win over a publisher. Um, so, I'm th- and, and the way agent stuff works is if you're an unknown commodity, then you are going to probably submit anywhere from five to 20 pages of your novel to just get their attention, right? And then the way it works is it's kind of a... a back and forth that happens for a while where the more they like, the more they're going to ask for. And, um, and I, I bring this up because my prologue is about 12 pages and it, it takes place in the past. And my concern as I've thought more about it, my concern has become, am I really representing the novel properly here? 
You know, like if, if, if the agent is only going to ask for five pages and a lot of agents do, then I have five pages to make an impression. And if, and if those five pages are all in the prologue, well then guess what? You haven't even gotten a flavor for my real novel. You've just gotten a cool little bit of prologue that I really like. So this all culminated in the fact that I decided to paraphrase Toni Morrison and, uh, what is the phrase? Kill your darlings, right? So it's a famous phrase by Toni Morrison. Basically, don't be afraid to cut stuff to make room for better stuff. Now, I have killed many, many darlings in this novel. You know, like the novel is currently about 75,000 words, maybe 70,000 words. I guarantee I have thrown away more than that, right? I guarantee I have tossed at least a novel's worth of material, if not a little bit more to make way for to just keep on churning through it. It's probably more like a hundred thousand words is what I've thrown away as I've worked through this. But this is one of those things where like, I'm not quite ready to kill this one yet. I'm ready to get rid of it in the novel, but I'm not ready to get rid of it. So I have often, you know, in my, in my weaker moments with this novel, there have been times where I've thought, you know, I could just make this a comic, right? Like, I could just turn this into a comic and it'd be a pretty cool comic. And then all my dumb concerns about, you know, will someone have a similar idea before me and make my idea, you know, irrelevant, all of them would go away, right? Because I watch with panic new book solicitations every new month in previews. I always just go through all the publishers real quick to be like, please, 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 please. Right. And it never happens, right? Because that, that's, that's a good thing. But... I've now warmed to the idea of turning this prologue into a comic. Um, I can I can divorce it from the novel. I can keep the novel. And then I can turn the prologue into a comic. And so I, I, I've been kicking that around. You know, I obviously need to find an artist and need to figure all that stuff out. I need to make sure it's a good comic first. You know, what's interesting is I think it works very well as a prologue, but I'm not sure it works entirely well as a self-contained story. So for me to make it a self-contained story, I'm going to have to make some changes. And I'm okay making those changes because, again, I've made the final decision that it's not really a part of the novel. But uh, anyway, so that's kind of where I am right now. You know, like, I think I have this idea for a cool new potential comic. I am, as mentioned, I think, I'm doing a lot of traveling. So that means I'm going to be in front of my laptop a whole bunch these next three weeks. And, you know, what a glorious time to travel when coronavirus is, is spiking again. So, you know, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Um, luckily, I'm vaccinated and I take care of myself. So, you know, I, I still feel pretty good. But still, three trips in three weeks, you know, like I am definitely going to be masking up um, at in, in any instance where I think it's even remotely possible. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm vaccinated as well. But I've, I've known people, unfortunately, that are also vaccinated that still end up getting it. So I'm I'm masking up everywhere I go. I'm going on a weekend retreat with some buddies on Labor Day weekend and we are just going to get hammered for three days and I want nothing to uh, stop me from going to this because this was exactly. actually a trip that was planned before uh, quarantine. So we we're like, okay, all right. Well, I think, all right. So we set it, I think for uh, March, March and then uh, lockdown happened in March yeah. and we're like, oh, I guess we're not doing this. Like we yes. were like, it was still kind of like, I was like, I'm still game because this is the beginning of it. So the likelihood that anyone in our group has it, uh, isn't likely like in my, right. my, my guesstimate. And it, it was true. No one had it, uh, for quite a while. And anyway, so, uh, I'm, I'm going into full, full mask up everywhere I go. I'm not quarant quarantining. I'm not like staying away from everyone. I am still going yeah. to the store and stuff like that. But I, everywhere I go, I'm masked up uh, yeah, regardless exactly. of me being vaccinated. Exactly. Exactly. So again, and I'm there because again, I'm going to three wildly different places over these next three weeks. So, you know, again, I, I knock on wood. I wash my hands a whole lot. I do a whole lot of things that I think are good, safe practices. And I want to yeah. keep doing those because I'm going to be flitting about the country these next couple weeks. But, um, but anyway, so, um, so anyway, so I'm going to have a lot of time in front of a laptop and, uh, and that's good because it'll allow me to not only work on my novel and maybe make up a little bit for some lost time this last couple days, but also make me kind of think about this next comic idea and see where it ends up going. So anyway, that was kind of a long meandering thing that sort of had a point and sort of didn't, but hopefully it helps somebody out there.
No, that's that's awesome, dude. Yeah, that, I think that definitely would help someone out. If you have an idea and it doesn't work for this particular story that you're doing, it might work somewhere else. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think I think that's a great plan. And you have another project. You have another iron in the fire. So yeah, there's exactly. nothing wrong with that. Exactly, exactly. So uh, did you have anything else? Yeah, I got, I got one to... last thing, and then we'll dive into the main topic for the episode. Um, so the last couple of weeks, I've been very vague about something that I've been working on for the back cover of the second shift. And um, I, I put those, I put that image out on my social media. So uh, might as well talk about it here. So I've been really getting into public domain superheroes. Like I've known about public domain forever, but there's nothing that I ever really wanted to do with them. Um, but I like, I like the idea of doing something special for the back of the issues, you know, it's like a kind of like a story in one image. And I've done that for a couple of issues of the second shift. Like there's one where I have uh, Sarah and Eddie, they're out on the beach uh, in the ocean or whatever. Eddie's being lowered into the water uh, in one of those shark tanks. And Sarah is on the dock and there are sharks circling the shark tank. And there's just a little uh, knowing is half the battle situation. And I really liked that. And I was just like, this is what I want to do. I always want to have one of those knowing is half the battle type things on the back of the issue, just as a Mm -hmm. joke, though, a complete joke. Yeah. And uh, so if you're uh, if you want to look at that, I believe it's Second Shift 8 that has that. And uh, yeah, it was super fun. So but I've been trying to think of other things to do. And I'm like, hey, I can do classic, quote unquote, team ups of uh, the second shift teaming up with one of these golden age superheroes. And so the first one that I did, it is the second shift and golden age daredevil versus princess Sheba. And this, the, I read daredevil number two, classic daredevil, not the one from Marvel, but it is a a blue and red superhero. Uh, Look up golden age daredevil or public domain daredevil. If you don't know what that looks like, you will see that character. And, um, uh, my buddy has some golden age, uh, PDFs. So he sent them my way and I really dug the story right away that the villain actually resonated really well with me. I'm like, this is a great villain. Like, I love this character. It could, you know, can use some, some minor tweaks like to her, to her powers essentially, but overall she's pretty badass. And so I, I just had this image in my head that I wanted to draw and I knocked like, I knocked it out pretty quickly and I was really happy with it. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be the thing I do on the back cover of the second shift, like going forward, unless I think of another knowing is half the battle situation, um, or there's some kind of super badass pinup that needs to be seen. But I think I'm going to do that moving forward. And it kind of like, have you ever watched uh, Arrested Development? No. Okay, so Arrested Development, it's a hilarious show. You should check it out sometime. But after the episode is over, they go on the next episode of Rested Development, and it's a storyline that goes nowhere. Okay. It's just the scenario is hilarious that they're presenting to you, and then it just never happens. So it's just like the next episode is just a continuation of the story. So that this this one off that they do in the la, in the at the in at the right before the credits, it has nothing to do with anything. Right. And I yeah. loved I I love that element of it, and so I'm going to be doing that, and I, I really enjoy it, and it's something else I can collect in the hardcover as well. And it's just like, hey, you get all these Golden Age superheroes in the back along with the covers, pinups, etc. Yeah, man, it's dope. I'm a huge fan of that piece of art, but you know that from uh, some text we've exchanged. So, yeah, man, very, very cool. Yeah, if you guys want to check that out, go to my Instagram, at Scott Lost. And uh, I posted up the image that will be in the back of the issue uh, or issue 10 of the second shift. But that's not the the final colors. That's just something I did for fun. I put like I did the flats and then I put a piece of old paper behind it, essentially, to create this older look to it. So that's just something I did for fun because I wanted to post it up online. Um, But Joaquin's going to tackle it. He has a great idea for it. And I already have the dialogue that I'm going to place on top of it. And it's fun. It's a fun little piece. Cool, man. Yeah, man. No, I I dig that piece a lot. So let's go ahead and get to our our main topic of the day. And, you know, Scott and I have had some conversations about this. And what we decided is while while we've touched on this before, we felt that it would be really cool, hopefully, 
to just take the comics process kind of beginning to end. And so that's what we're going to do here. You know, for the next chunk of episodes, we're just going to keep on tackling a different phase of making a comic um, as we work our way through the process. And again, some of these things might brush up on things that we've talked about in the first 40 plus episodes, but uh, it's always good to have them in one place too. So where you start with a comic is the inception of the comic and also getting script out there, right? So today we're going to talk about, you know, the idea itself and scripting. And so, um, you know, Scott and I have mentioned on previous podcasts where we got the ideas for the second shift and for Kadoja respectively. But, uh, you know, in terms of just brand new ideas for a brand new comic, you know, I'll, again, I think we'll just try to unpack our mindset instead of making this a review. My mindset in making a comic or, or thinking of a comic idea is what stories have either not been told or have not been told at the angle I'm going to present, you know? So, you know, again, hey, look, I'm quoting Toni Morrison twice in one episode. Um, Write the book that you want to read, right? That's another well-known line by her. So same thing here, right? Like write the comic that you want to read. And in my case, you know, the the kind of comics I want to read are comics that don't exist yet because... I can read ones that exist already. So, you know, you're never going to reinvent the wheel. That's not the point. You don't need to get that crazy. You know, some of the greatest stories ever um, in, in pop culture and arguably kind of in, in, you know, classical culture have come from someone just being slightly different than everybody else. They haven't come from some revolutionary idea, you know, and I'm going to. So get your drinks ready. One is Star Wars. Another is Harry Potter. Right. In terms of modern Uh, iconic storylines. These are stories that were very similar to stories that came before them, but it was just a new, interesting synthesis of stuff that had come before. You can find all kinds of Harry Potter-ish stories before Harry Potter, and you can find all kinds of Star Wars-ish stories before Star Wars. And there are plenty of examples that you can do for that, right? But it's about you finding a nice fusion that's a little bit different that somehow becomes the story that you want to write. So again, what out there is not being written and how can I write it is what I ask myself when I, uh, when I'm thinking about some potential stories to tackle. There was a, I believe 50 shades of gray was a fanfic of uh, uh, twilight. And, and it just became its own thing. They're like, hey, this is really good. You should do something with this. And then so she just turned it to Fifty Shades of Grey. Isn't that wild? That's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, now she owns 700,000 houses probably. But, right. <laughs> you know, like, it's crazy the way that works. Crazy. Yeah, you get works. you get this germ of an idea or like, hey, I really like these characters, but if these characters were into hardcore S&M or, you know, whatever yeah. you're, what you're into, uh, they're exactly. into badminton now. And, uh, you know, you make your uh, story that's based on badminton and it's just like its own thing, you know. Yeah, uh, exactly. So you can get those germ of an idea. Um, I think something we've talked about, and, and not to say that's how it came about, was, uh, you know, the Marvel Celestials. You have Nowhere, which is the, the head of a dead Celestial, right? People live in it now. And then you have We Only Find Them When They're Dead. It's a book about people that harvest dead Celestials, essentially. And... Uh, um, you know what what their jobs are so you can go down all these different roads with one idea yeah totally totally so um so yeah i mean and again ideas tend to come naturally as opposed to you sitting in a lab and brainstorming them but i know for me you know it, it i think the way ideas more naturally come out is oh here's an idea that would make an interesting story <clears throat> is it like anything And if it is, then I got to ask myself, well, how do I differentiate it then? How do I make it different? Because again, you know, like there's a reason I don't write superhero books because I feel like I can read a selection of amazing superhero books. Like I'm not sure I can add anything to the superhero genre, but there are genres that I feel I can add something to. And that's why I pursue those avenues. Right. So, so you get, you get your idea and now it's time for you to sit down and script it. Right. So I'm going to keep this really high level. Um, for me, when it comes to scripting, what I really like to do is, and again, this might be a, a, 
bit of bit, bit of thievery from writing like movie scripts and things like that. But I like doing a scene skeleton, right? It's just it's just going to be nothing but the scenes that are going to take place in this comic, and um, and what happens. You know, just a really simple thing. Scene one: Scott and Keith hit record and record their weekly episode of making comics. Scene two. A vampire with a chainsaw shows up that really likes badminton. You know, okay, so where do we go from there, right? Scene three, Keith and Scott beat the vampire at badminton. You know, whatever it's going to be, right? So, uh, or I guess team of vampires, because it would have to be doubles. But, you know, you, you get the point, right? Like, right. You, you, and then we let we let them, or we make them, since they lost, they have to go kill people we hate. And then, and then chaos ensues, and fun and frenzy happens. Just, just absolute hilarity. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is a buddy comedy. What it's, it's what it really is. <laughs> don't don't think we're morbid or anything. This is all a comedy. This is a buddy I mean, comedy. We're all exactly. having a great time. Think of uh, it's in the vein of dude. Where's my car? Exactly. And Vane <laughs> is a great vampire reference too. So it's fantastic. True. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you know that's that's what a scene skeleton. It is that's all it needs to look like, right? Because what it does is it gives you the shape of your entire story. And then for me, so like, for example, for Kadoja Volume 4, my scene skeleton is written for all four issues. It's already done. And um, now in, in a particular angle there, what I did was I went character by character or storyline by storyline because any story worth a damn is going to have multiple threads with multiple people involved. You know, like you don't just want, I mean, I'm sure there's some stories out there that have like one linear thread and it never diverts from it, but I can't think of many. Um, There's always going to be other things going on. So, you know, you, you have your threads. And so what I did was I just kind of pursued every thread to its end in words first. Then I turned each of those threads into a skeleton. And then what I did was I just shuffled them around to turn them into a comic as we go from thing to thing, right? And there you go. I have four issues worth of scenes right there. And then when it's time to write the issues, what I do is I sit down and actually just write the script, right? Like I follow a very loose screenplay format that's just, you know... It's just me using center justification and left justification in like Microsoft Word, you know, like I am personally of the opinion that unless you're trying to write an actual official screenplay to be submitted to like Hollywood agents or people like that, just make the shit look like a fucking script. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Can you pay $300 or whatever it is for final draft? Of course. But guess what? You just spent a whole lot of time, in my opinion, setting up a fancy software that you could have just replicated 80% of, 90% of by using your indents and center justifications in Word. You know, look, if you really want to get cute, there are macros out there for Word that you can download that are like screenplay. And then you can you can learn all that stuff. But for me, man, I've never been a manual reader. You know, I buy new shit. I bust it out and I start screwing with it immediately. I don't read manuals. And as a result, because I don't have a ton of time every day to write, I want that time to be creative. I don't want it to be setting up stuff. So by all means, if you do your best thinking by being in like an official software or things like that, go for it. But you don't need to do that, right? Like you can just write scripts that sort of look like scripts. And this is, you know, like comics is a bit of a frontier and you can use that more to your advantage. You're not writing for Marvel yet. You know, and and if you are, congratulations, you probably have your copy of Final Draft ready to go, right? Because writing for Marvel or writing for DC probably comes with different format requirements than making your own comic, which is, you know, the space that we're in. So anyway, then I just write the scenes, right? And uh, and it's fun because you get to take this scene skeleton that's two sentences and turn that into actual scenes with dynamics specific to each of them. And if you guys are trying to write for Marvel and DC, just go online, Google comic book script. I'm sure you'll find something out there. And, uh, you know, the the basic format they use, it's very easy to do. Like Keith is saying, you don't need to spend all this money on software necessarily. If you don't have that bag, don't worry about it. Like he said, you can use uh, right, center, you know, uh, indentations, alignment, uh, in Word, and you'll be just as good. So if you want to do see what that format looks like, Google it, and uh, it's very helpful. That it's it's definitely easy to read as an artist. But like he said, if 
if you're just making your own books and you're going to be doing this for for freelance artists or whatever, um, you you can just essentially make it look like a script. Just make it easy for your artist to read, and there's no problems. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and a, a quick note on that too: if you're trying to write for Marvel and DC, don't. You can't. Like Marvel and DC, and I believe Dark Horse, those three specifically, and possibly even Boom, they are, don't call us, we call you. You know, like not many companies out there these days just take submissions from writers. By the time you get to Marvel and DC, you have probably done your time in the indie circuit and they know who you are, right? Now... Obviously, these kind of people tend to have agents, and those agents are talking to Marvel and DC. But the point is, you're you're going to have to have an in, and you're probably going to have to have a body of work. You know, the glory days of Marvel in the 70s and 80s, if we want to call them glory days, where people could just submit treatments and scripts and all that stuff, those don't exist anymore. You know, like, you need to come on a recommendation from an agent, or you need to have an existing body of work. Exactly right. You need to get... So that's... As an artist, you could submit... Uh, just just drawings. You could you can ha- do a storyline or whatever. It's a sequence of five pages. Uh, I think they want five to six pages, right, of interiors. But as a writer, you're going to need existing work. You're going to need to have uh, comic books that are created, and you could submit those comic books to them because it is it already exists. But they will not take a uh, a script by you. Uh, yeah. Just just submitted because I think there was an era where everyone was getting sue happy, so yeah. they were getting sued by people who said, "Hey, I submitted you, uh, I submitted this story to you guys, and this current storyline is a lot like the storyline I submitted to you. You're stealing my intellectual property, so you know here's this lawsuit. So they avoid that altogether, so you can submit existing books, but n- nothing else." Yeah, I mean, and and that kind of rule applies in publishing too. You know, I can't even remember the thing that I submitted, I'm pretty sure it was a nonfiction book, but I went on a thing where I spent hours and hours and hours looking up publishers to send this uh, proposal for a nonfiction book to, And, uh, finally sent it off. Was so excited because I had, I followed all the rules. I sent my first 20, you know, publisher stuff. And, um, I got, I'm going to say about 12 letters back in the mail. And the letters all said the same thing. Roughly. They basically said, we're returning this to you and we want to let you know we didn't even open it. Mm. That's it. Right. So like it was a bummer because I, you know, like that's when you know that like, you know, your, your cool idea for whatever is like, it's never even going to get a chance because to Scott's point, people got super Sue happy and Hey, guess what? They fucked it up for everybody. So great lawsuit asshole. You screwed it up for the world, (laughs) you know? Um, so anyway, hopefully so you, hopefully you won your case at least. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I hope it got thrown out, and as penance, you had to kiss a dirty sewer, <laughs> you know. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, I mean that's pretty much it, right? In terms of the the script writing, again, format is helpful, but we're making our own rules here in Indie Land, and um, you know, if you're a writer then odds are you're probably working with an artist and that artist, as long as it's legible and, uh, and it's given them good direction, I think you're good. You know, from, from an artist standpoint, Scott, what are you looking for in a script? You know, you've obviously created a partnership with Ed where it's just back and forth now. But like, if you were taking on brand new work and you're like, hey, I'll draw a comic for somebody, what's the kind of thing that you're looking for in a script? Well, I, the way I like to work, so when... When me and Ed first started, we were both brand new to this. We're both coming off uh, extensive wrestling careers, and we're we're figuring it out. We're figuring it out together. So Ed was essentially writing in prose form. He was writing in novel form. And so I would just read it, and I would interpret it. But the problem with that was I would end up with either 19 pages of story, which there's no problem there, or I'd end up with 28 pages of story. And it's like, dude. This is too much. We need to trim this down. And so all of the time that I took to thumbnail those pages out, to think of how the the story worked, it's all wasted time. And it's like, dude, I cannot waste time. I don't have a lot of time to waste, so therefore we need to change this format. Um, The format really started to change when I did something with my buddy Travis. 
and uh, I needed some stuff for my website. I wanted some brand new content just for the website. So after the first first five issues uh, completed, I, I met with my buddy Travis Rivas. I, I met him at a convention. We started hanging out. We became friends. And I said, hey, man, I'm doing this like holiday stuff for my website. I want brand new interior content. So if people want want to read it, they got to go to the site to check it out. So why don't you write me a, I think, a three to five page story of the second shift characters in a, hollow, a Halloween caper of some sort. And so he like banged it out and he knew how to do the Marvel format because he was trying to learn how to write for Marvel or DC. And so he goes, so he sent it over to me. I'm like, holy shit, like... This is exactly the page count that I needed because he had it formatted to the page count and he mm-hmm. had it panel by panel. And so um, I was like, holy shit, this is way easier and it's way faster. I bang those pages out so quickly. So after that, I talked to Ed. I said, hey, man, I think we got to change how we do things because because of this very reason. He goes, I agree. And he started doing it that way. And um, I had sent him Travis's script and how he had done it. I think he even looked some stuff up online. And he came back with with that format, and it helped so so much. And uh, the the way that I like to play with it more so is as long as I know. So I prefer it that way. Number one is that's how I prefer it. So if I'm working with someone new, that's how I would prefer the script. But I like to play with the format. So sometimes I'll go, okay, so this is how it starts. This is the context of what happens in the page. This is how this page ends. I might add a scene, or I might take out a panel. It's just like, nah, you overthought it. This this, this conveys that, so I don't need that. And I'm like, and I can probably put something in its place where I go, hey, this is only three panels, or this is only you know five panels as opposed to six. So, Or I'm like, hey, I can actually add this this part of the story to make it funny. And uh, so, so that's what I like. I like to be able to play with it. And, uh, um, you know, just have all the information that I need for that page and then go about my business. Um, To go back to what you were talking about initially with the skeleton, me and Ed did that very same thing when we first started. So it was, you know, these were my characters and I had a bunch of storylines and and characters, uh, villains in mind. And he goes, all right, well, what are we doing then? How do you want to lay this out? And uh, so he's the one that came up with the skeleton. He's like, okay, how many issues do you want to have this first storyline? So we talked about it and uh, we laid it out. Okay, you know, initially we said six and then we cut it down to five. Uh, once we started going, I'm like, you know what? I think six is going to be a much I, th- uh, much I think we can finish it in five. And he goes, yeah, I actually only made it six because you said six, but <clears throat> I can definitely tell this in five. So I was like, okay, good. You know, and then... Uh, um, yeah, so we formatted the first, uh, or we skeletoned out the first 20 to 25 issues. And then from there, that's that's how we went through each issue. Like, okay, and these first five issues, what do you want to happen? You know, and I'm like, okay, well, I think this, this, and this. I'm like, what do you think? And he goes, yeah, well, that works. This works for this reason, but let's change this. You know, and he comes in with his own ideas. And, and uh, uh, much like you were saying, you you kind of have multiple storylines going on in, in one thing. So he actually put in little hints about stuff that wasn't happening for, for, you know, until issue 10. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I would have never thought to do that. And that's why I'm not a writer, you know. And, and so he's dropping little nuggets and hints and uh, planting the seeds throughout these these first eight issues. And then by the time we get to issue nine with the taxidermist, um, I put little notes in there. It says, hey, check out issue three. He is mm-hmm. actually in the back of the in the panel and on this page or whatever, and and so you know there's those little nuggets in there which are super cool, and uh, you know it's something I would never think of doing. So, uh, you know, for me personally, unless unless you're an artist that is studying the art of writing, it, it really pays off to have a writer because they're going to be doing things that you would never even think of doing. So, if you're a artist writer, uh, artist writer out there, think consider it. Just consider it. Consider having a writer even look over your script before you start drawing it out. Maybe you don't want them to write for you, but have an experienced writer check your script out and go, hey, these are, they're going to tell you, hey, this looks great. Or, hey, these are the problems I see with your script. You know, they'll give you some notes or whatever, and you can take them or you could leave them. But again, if you're an artist first, I suggest taking those notes. Yeah, no, and that's, and, and you make a great point there. I mean, notes, notes are a great point. But uh, and and we've we've definitely covered that before, you know, as I've 
relayed, you've relayed stories about you and Ed. I've relayed stories about my own experience with notes and how I've incorporated them most recently with, with three protectors. But, um, you know, you bring up another thing too about the, the Ed's, Ed's penchant to kind of lay some seeds there. Right. And that's stuff that, you know, I like to do in my books and it's, it's a super important thing of writing, right? Because what you never want to do is have something feel like it materializes out of nowhere and that it's dropped in. You know, you want everything to feel earned. And obviously there are things that do drop in, right? And and you go from there. But in terms of writing, you always want something to feel like it's kind of been there and doesn't feel dropped in, right? And, um, you know, this is an important thing too because this is the kind of stuff, this is the kind of comment that I've heard a lot in workshops. And, um, you know, I listen to the, so, so a common thing is people, when they write stuff, they will say, yes, it's dropped in and it's random, but guess what? Life is random. You know, like random stuff happens all the time and it changes the course of people's lives. And the counter to that, which I thought was interesting, which I've come around to is that, well, this is a novel. This isn't life, you know, like, and, and that's where it's one of those cases where I do agree with that. You know, like life does have tons of random things happen that can really alter the course of your life. But in a novel, that feels dropped in and shitty, you know. And so in a novel or in a in a in a comic book script, because it's you know, when I say novel, of course, I should have just said story right in a story. It can't feel dropped in. It has to feel earned, you know, and that's that's the weird thing. Like we all get that like life is random and things like that, but that doesn't mean stories have to be. And when stories are too random, it feels like you're making up shit as you're going along. Right. And you mm-hmm. don't want that. You don't want you don't want anybody to feel like you're making up shit as you go along. You want everything to feel like you planned it out. And more importantly, you want the reader to be satisfied once they get to this point, because they're like, yes, this was here. You know, and uh, and I should have seen it coming, but I didn't. But that person's so artful at it that they got me. That's right. You hear that shit, Ryan Johnson? Can't be just making Luke drink blue milk out of a space cow out of nowhere and make everyone think that it's okay. You heard it from Keith here first, you fuck. (laughs) Eden actually had blue milk when we were there. And and before she sell blue milk over there? Yeah, but before she drank it, she specifically turned to me and said, You know what, man? Fucks got lost. And then, <laughs> and, then, and that was that. <laughs> well done. Viva la Ryan Johnson. That's what she said. So, That's funny. So anyway, um, anyway, I think I think we've covered that, right? So so we're pretty good on it. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, and yeah. and it does pay. And and see, like he said, when you do that skeleton, it. it can pay in dividends, you know, your writer can see ahead, you know, if you, you and your writer, if it's a joint effort on the storyline and you guys want to plan stuff out in the future, that gives them the ability to go, Hey, when this scene happens, we can actually slip this in in over here. You know, if, if you're just thinking now in the moment, as most artists do, I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, so let me not generalize, but you know, I have a tendency to think this is, this issue is what I am doing. I'm not thinking about a storyline that's going to take place, you know, eight issues from now. That's not my job. I'm I'm the guy that likes to draw the shit. So it's the writer's job to incorporate this stuff to think about these things, you know. Uh, any writer worth his salt is going to try to think ahead and see how to incorporate everything smoothly and you know, make it all work together and and not feel like it's just thrown in out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, this, you're, you make another great point and it brings up a little trick that I want to bring up too. And, and this is a delicate trick because if you have published material out there, it's not the kind of thing you can pull off. If you are working on an entire piece of work and you have the ability to be flexible in that piece of work. So for example, you're writing all four issues to a comic arc at the same time. You're writing a novel, you're writing a story, you're doing whatever, right? This kind of shit happens to me all the time. You on, you know, in, in fucking issue three, you realize that, oh shit, this cool thing can happen. And then you put it in there, right? And so the magic is if you haven't released issue one and two yet, guess what? You can go back and redo issue one and two and you can work backward from that thing, right? Like that kind of stuff. That's, that's one of the things that I tend to do sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll get along somewhere and I'll be like, Oh, wait, this is a really cool thing. 
And then I put it in, but you know, you're not going to put it in without this idea of like, but it's got to be, it's got to be earned. And I have to lay the groundwork for this earlier. And then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to comb through that story and you're going to have to figure out some really logical, cool places to put the things that are going to lead to this moment there. So, you know, the beauty of it is if you don't have published work or you haven't published parts of the story yet, you can go backward, right? And you can just start with something cool and go backward. Um, it's just, a, a, again, hopefully a little helpful tip when you get that bit of inspiration when you're writing and uh, you can go back and all of a sudden it's going to make it all feel natural, you know? And uh, sometimes you can even have a cool thing and at the end of your writing session, you've put a couple, you know, teasers of it in and placed them in there. And when people go through it in a linear fashion, they're not even going to think about it, you know? So, so anyway, um, yeah, man, I think we've covered a whole lot there. You yeah, know? man. So, I think we got it done. Yeah, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore decibel. Uh, that is going to be my, you know, stuff going to theme parks when I do um, other comic projects that aren't Kadoja, hint, hint, and uh, maybe a record or two I'm listening to. And then for Kaiju, you have at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. And that's going to be all things Kadoja. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and uh, Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. So, and if you guys think that we missed anything about this subject, you can email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know. Say, hey, you guys messed up. You guys forgot about this thing. And which is yeah. highly possible because Keith had a 10% beer and I had two 5% uh, hard seltzers. Exactly. So, yeah, and then we, in, and, and then, we might have missed something. And in the spirit of writing, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and re-record that to make it pretend like we knew about it the first time, right? Yeah. Like, that's the kind of power we have. So, uh, so yeah, hey, let's just say you want to buy some comics. So we have two sites for you. One is KeithRFoster.com where you can check out Kadoja. And, of course, I have some blog posts there and some other things as well. Kadoja is Giant Monsters Meet H.P. Lovecraft. It is an old-school black-and-white uh, throwback in some ways to a time when Giant Monster films were a bit nastier. And then the other website is TheAccidentalAliens.com. AccidentalAliens.com, not TheAccidentalAliens.com. So go to AccidentalAliens.com and you can pick up The Second Shift, uh, Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. And, uh, you know, there's a little more to that. So you can go there, read the blurb, or just listen yeah. to one of these other episodes where I say the whole entire thing. <laughs> this is a rare occurrence where you don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, is The Accidental Aliens, like, what are the odds that that's like a used car site in, like, Thailand? That you just that you just covered. <laughs> that is actually our Gmail. It's okay. the accidental aliens at gmail.com. Okay. I think accidental aliens was taken, strangely ah. enough. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's weird. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Just like Scott lost at Gmail, you squattering son of a bitch. <laughs> I want my game back. Listen up, bastard. If you're one of the people listening, just do what's right. Just we're just saying do what's right. That's, just do that's what's what right. Matters. Give me a number. Give me a reasonable number. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know what you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, you know, I've queued up the music a while ago. So, All right. Uh, until next week, brother. Yay, yay. <laughs>